Hi, I'm Susan Raff, and welcome to Real Talk. We have a very special guest today, Kristen Song, who is a mother, and she is also a fighter who went through probably a very bad tragedy, one of the worst tragedies. She lost her son. Um, her son was at a friend's house. Uh, they were playing around with a gun, uh, and it accidentally went off. And Kristen and her family have gone through a lot. Uh, but Kristen decided not to uh, allow her son's death uh, to go uh, in vain. She wanted very much to help other families and prevent them uh, from going through something similar. And in fact, she pushed for legislation in Connecticut, which passed on a bipartisan level called Ethan's Law, which requires all guns to be uh, safely stored, not just those that are unlocked, but all guns. And again, it was a bipartisan effort. And Kristen also uh, has been a big advocate for getting guns off the streets and helping kids in the inner cities who have been traumatized by gun violence. So with all of that, we want to go right to Kristen's song. And we want to thank you so much for joining us here on Real Talk. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Wow. It's been a while. I mean, your son has been... Uh, uh, a motivating force for you. I mean, many families probably uh, would have just uh, retreated, but you did not. Why not? It's it's really true. You know, um, you probably heard me tell this story, but really the the day after Ethan died, it really was probably like five o'clock in the morning and I hadn't slept all night. And I, I turned to Mike and I said, you know, I know I will not survive this unless something good comes out of Ethan's death. And so really from the get-go um, were the makings of um, trying to do something positive to honor Ethan, but also of course our, our biggest goal is to protect, you know, your children, your grandchildren, since we weren't able to protect Ethan. Um, and so, you know, we, we, the first thing we did was, you know, when we sat with a prosecutor and she looked at me and said, you know, I can't charge the gun owner, the negligent and reckless gun owner. Instead, we're going to charge the 14 year old um, best friend. You know, I just could not believe um, that the father was throwing this child under the bus and that that was not OK with me. And so that's kind of how we started going down the path of trying to change the law. I think, you know what? I realized as a parent, and I think everybody did, was that, you know, you can't be with your children 24-7. And so no. you don't know where they are. I mean, he was a teenager. He was 15, right? He had just turned 15, yes. So um, when you started... But even if you do, right? like I knew where Ethan was going. This was a child that uh, Ethan was best friends with since they were four years old, so that he had been part of our life for 10 years. So I knew exactly where Ethan was walking to. But the problem, like you said, is you cannot be with your children 24-7. And so you may know that they're going to that party at their best friend's house or at their boyfriend's house. But, you know, do you know what's actually going on within the house? And you don't know if there are guns there. You did not know. And you would have no reason no. to believe that or, or suspect that. When you no. started to talk to Connecticut lawmakers, what were their, uh, you know, what kind of reactions uh, did you get? Uh, when you wanted to talk about guns safely uh, stored. And I just wanted to um, bring people up to speed because it's my understanding that this was an unlocked weapon, but it was stored in a shoebox with ammunition, correct? Yes. There was three guns with um, probably 50 bullets um, just lying on the bottom of the shoebox. And um, there was um, a trigger lock on, but it was broken. 
and the keys were also located in the same vicinity. So I'm not sure how, how, you know, you could really call that a stored, you right. know, weapon. unlocked, but easy to be loaded. Yeah. What did lawmakers say in Connecticut when you approached them um, about this? You know, I had a really, really good response. Um, one of the reasons why is Vinny Candelora stepped right up and he met with us very early on and he listened to us and he um, actually shared a story um, about an incident where he was at a party um, with adults and kids and a child came up from the basement with a gun. So he saw it happen and he got lucky and they got lucky. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really not a bridge too far. It's, you know, if you're going to own a deadly weapon, you know, you need to um, step up and take responsibility, um, if, especially if children are around. So we had, we had a really good response. Right. I want to uh, also let people know. So Vinnie Candelora is the Republican minority leader in Connecticut. And yes. uh, just as we saw in Sandy Hook, that there was bipartisan support for gun control legislation. So in Connecticut, um, it did pass. Um, are you concerned, though, on a national level? Because I know that people would like to see more. Most Americans, um, when polled, uh, support universal background checks uh, and stricter measures about having a gun. Now, some will say, you know, that's not going to solve every problem and we're not going to prevent mm-hmm. gun violence. But it, 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 some see it as a step in the right direction. Are you discouraged, uh, you know, fast forward, especially after Sandy Hook? And all of the, uh, you know, the momentum to get gun legislation passed, uh, we haven't seen really anything. So, no, I'm, I'm never discouraged. You know, I, I in my heart, I, it will safe storage will get passed. I, I, you know, I will if it takes me another 40 years, it will happen. Um, you know, the safe storage is not a um, as a big push Um um, what I mean by that is the NRA and the NSSF really don't come after safe storage because they are the biggest promoters of safe storage. They actually, they actually do it much better than I do. And when I testified in front of Congress, um, it was really hard for the NSSF to really push back really hard against safe storage because their president has tons of videos on it. He writes articles about it. It's on their website the Veterans Affairs, it's a huge deal with the Veterans Affairs. They are pushing very hard for safe storage for their veterans because they're losing 20, 20 to 21 veterans a day for suicide. So um, I, don't, I don't see um, safe storage as being like this huge rally cry for the other side to come out against it. And what I can give you as an example, I was just chatting with uh, Maine who just passed the safe storage bill. And I asked him how many people came out against your safe storage bill from the other side? Three, three people. He said, unheard of. Right. Because I know the CCDL, which uh, is another uh, gun rights group in Connecticut, uh, they supported it because I think that their explanation was, you know, a safely stored gun is the best case scenario. So their interest or their, you know, it's in their best interest and everyone's best interest that all weapons be stored. So I think you're right. I didn't hear a lot of, uh, you know, pushback on that. Uh, I know you've been to Washington. I know you would like to see Ethan's law or something similar to it on a national level. How is that going? It's, it actually, I just was chatting with Rosa's um, Deloro's office this morning. 
You know, I think, again, I think, um, you know, because I have um, testified in front of a lot of legislatures, I've probably talked to the majority of the states, there is not a big pushback for safe storage. So I think that of all the gun uh, legislation that is in front of Congress, I think, you know, safe storage would be probably uh, the easiest to get passed. And so, um, you know, of course, I'm going to continue to push for that. And, you know, hopefully we'll start getting this bill marked up. And I think we can get really good. Um, I think we could get really good support from a lot of people for it. Right. And you because, again, it's it's the one. I was just saying it's the one it's the one and I always call it it's a child safety legislation. It's not a gun control legislation. It is um, as equally important as a child seat, seat belt, the pool, a fence around a pool. I see it no differently. Um, It's not a second amendment. No one is taking your gun away. We're just, you know, saying we're just imploring you, you know, to, yeah, safe it up. I mean, we hear it all the time. Exactly. You know, a gun will be under a, a cushion in a couch or something like that. And it's the worst tragedy. I mean, even no one wants uh, to see the, this happen to anybody. Uh, so, you know, if it makes us all a little bit more conscientious about the weapons in our home and how we store them, why not? Exactly. And, and that's, you know, I always say when I'm lobbying or chatting with someone, I don't want to put anyone in jail. But I- I want to do is I want to create a cultural shift like we did with drunk driving so that people, so the awareness so that people start becoming aware, like, Oh, I do have a guy in my house. And you know what? My kid's now a teenager and teenagers do stupid things all the time. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure this gun is, is locked up, you know, just raising the awareness. You've done a lot also um, in some of the uh, urban areas with um, children and young teens and teenagers who have been traumatized by guns. I think there was a lot of comments, uh, you know, you pushed very hard and people always say, well, what about, you know, the inner city? I mean, they've had gun violence and deaths uh, for a long time and they feel like their calls and pleas for help are ignored. But you have uh, done a lot. Uh, In fact, I remember we came to see you and uh, tell us about the, the program. I know COVID kind of put a, a little bit of an mm. end to that. I mm. bet you're hoping that yep. it can go back. It's, but this issue up. of gun violence and the trauma that it causes really uh, hurts a lot of young people. Uh, absolutely. And so one of the things, you know, when we were trying to pass Ethan's law was that that point came up like, oh, you know, here's a white child that has been killed. And all of a sudden, um, you know, we have all this, you know, hubbub. And so I immediately went to New Haven and met with Leonard Jihad. And the first thing I said to him is, I'm not going to come into your neighborhood as a white woman from the suburbs and tell you what I think you guys should all be doing. You tell me what I need to do to help you. And, you know, his immediate response was, if you build a recording studio, we will get the children off the street. We will get the teenagers to come in. And you know what it, from the minute, it opened, it was a huge success, not only because you're, you're putting children into a safe environment, because you have all the intervention workers who are in the building with them. They are allowed to process their trauma through their lyrics. I never really understood rap. And now I get it. And they get to record, they get to record their, their rap songs. And, you know, there's some really talented kids. Um, So we're actually trying to do that in Hartford now. 
with um, Deb Davis. So we're hoping to get that started. We're looking for a place that we can actually build the studio. Um, they don't have a facility like CTVIP does. And then we also started an equine therapy program at um, our sanctuary in Guilford, Connecticut. And we offer free equine therapy to traumatized children. So it doesn't matter where you come from, what kind of financial background you have, you will not be turned down if you do not have money. Um, And that has been working just off the charts. Amazing. I remember when we were there, um, we spoke to a young man whose brother had been murdered. And it really takes its toll on the family. I mean, you have other children, right? Ethan had mm-hmm. a brother and sister. And, you know, those are scars that really uh, stay forever. So yeah. we all want to yeah. be, we all want to be safe. Yes. So I'm hoping to yeah. come see you in Hartford. Yeah. There, you know, I mean, the, people don't realize that the ripple effects of, of losing a child or a, a loved one, especially uh, through gun violence, you know, it doesn't stop at the mother, the father, the siblings, you know, it it ripples out to the community to Ethan's friends, you know, who um, I was just talking to a mother yesterday whose child was killed with an unsecured firearm. And she said, you know, my, my other son is suicidal. Two of the other best friends um, have been suicidal because, you know, it just gets, everything just gets wrapped up. There's so much survival guilt. There's so much, I could have said something I didn't, you know? And so it just, you know, people don't realize that it breaks down communities. It breaks down families. So when I tell people, if I save one child and I've saved one family and one community, that's, that means a lot to me because I see that I see the destruction. There's also the domestic violence part of this, you know, I, uh, off the top of my head, don't remember what the statistic is, but it's quite high that in a relationship where there's domestic violence, if there's a gun in the home, uh, that person is more likely to be shot or killed with that gun. Yeah. And, and really unsecured guns, you know, um, it's a suicide. That's really, it has tripled. These children are under incredible pressure, um, incredible isolation from COVID and incredible pressure from social media. Um, And so, you know, I I will be honest with you, after Ethan died, I was suicidal. And I will tell you, um, I'm so glad there was not a gun in my house. Because when you are suicidal, you think um, you kind of become a little bit relieved thinking, well, you know, I could, if I just check out all this pain, is going to go away. And that actually sounds like a really good solution when you're in that really dark place. And that is why access to guns is so dangerous because at that moment, it seems like a really good idea. And thank God, you know, I just held on and got some help um, and, and moved past that. I think we're all and glad. That's why it is so dangerous. I think we're all glad. And I'll speak for everyone that uh, that didn't happen. Uh, yeah. but it's reality when you lose a child and, and how you are. Um, yeah. I want to shift gears to this short movie uh, mm-hmm. that was recently made and premiered on Ethan's life uh, and, and more on what happened that day. And I watched it and, you know, there were many takeaways for me, but it made me see like, you know, one minute you can be kissing your child mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and sending them off and life is going on just like it normally is. And then it's shattered in a moment. Tell us about the movie, the making and what you hope it will accomplish. 
So one of the things, um, you know, when we were um, lobbying for Ethan's Law in Connecticut, this, the CCDL said, hey, listen, you know, we'd like an educational piece and, and done. And I promised them that I would do that. And although it's taken me a little bit of time, um, that's really why we created the film. So the film is going to be um, partnered with a educational gun safety guide. It's not going to be about Second Amendment. And um, so our hope is, and um, we're hoping to pilot it in some of the um, schools in Connecticut to, to tweak it and see what works with the kids and what doesn't resonate with the kids. And that is my hope, that it's going to be shown to high school-aged children. Um, and then there's going to be a, a, a guide, educational guide that goes along with it to just raise, again, awareness with children um, about the dangers of having their hands on stuff they should not have their hands on. And also, to, we're going to be chatting with the parents, too. I think the movie is really well so. done. I, I do, because I think that, you know, to understand the impact, you know, you can write statistics in a book and you can tell kids, you know, don't play with guns, don't go near a guns, you know, but when they see the emotional impact and what's happened, I think it really it has a greater impact on them. And, you know, they're they're drawn into it to be understanding, hey, that could be my family, someone I know. So I, I yeah. thought that the movie was was really well done. And I think that, um, you know, kids uh, will learn something from it. I hope so. I hope so. Again, you know, it's not going to hit every kid, you know, but um, if it could hit some, I know for me, I'm, you know, I'm 52 years old and I remember watching a drunk driving uh, film in high school and I still remember some of the images. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what we're going for is if, if we can just get some of the kids or some of the parents to kind of uh, wake up and realize um, kind of what's going on. And I will just tell you, I was an event, at an event the other night and three moms came up to me and just said, listen, I just want to let you know that I ask every parent before my child goes over there and my kids are older, if there's a gun in the house and if it's locked up. And they just said, basically, you have created a way for us to just normalize it. I don't apologize. I don't say, oh, I'm so sorry to be asking you. I would ask you the same question if you had a pool. Do you have a fence around your pool? And, you know, and that's really how it needs to be. Like, it has to be a really normalized question. And so I encouraged, you know, pediatricians. I was just at my gynecological appointment. I said, are you asking the newly pregnant moms? You know, you know, it may have not been a reason to lock up your gun before you were pregnant. But now that you are going to have a child, you need to start thinking along those lines. And she said, you know, that's a great idea. So just kind of raising awareness with a lot of people um, about the dangers of guns if they're not in the right hands. Communication is so important. And I think you're right. I mean, you have uh, an interest in asking where, you know, guns are in a house. I remember when my kids were small and I went to a daycare and I asked that question and I thought, you know, people were to be upset. And there, there were, and she said they were stored, but I made a decision at that point that, you know, maybe I didn't want my, uh, you know, child being in a, a gun uh, house. But I think that people, I, I think what you've done is really great. I really do. And I think that you've opened up the door for people to have conversations with their children. And the educational part of this is so important. And I know that uh, your husband, Mike, must be proud of you, your children. And I know Ethan would be as well. Thank you. That's very sweet. 
Thank you. I want to thank you for joining us. Something tells me uh, you're going to keep fighting. You're, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be on to something uh, next. And, you know, so, uh, you know, what doesn't uh, kill us makes us stronger, right? Yep, absolutely. I will never quit. So good for you. Thank you, Kristen Song, for being on Real Talk and sharing, you know, some pretty tough times. And um, we hope to have you back on um, again. Oh, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here on Real Talk. I'm Susan Ralph. You've been listening to Kristen Song here on Real Talk, sharing her stories about the tragedy of her son and what she's done to try to prevent more families from going through this. We'll see you next week. <laughs>